At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. Oh, hey, uh, we're going to jump into the Word of God, and we've been studying the, uh, the Apostles' Creed. We're down to the last of nine messages in that series, and this may be my favorite topic of them all, but uh, it's about the resurrection and what God has in store for the future. Uh, the phrase in the Apostles' Creed is, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, amen. We're going to look at the passage that Jacob read a moment ago uh, that talks about uh, the rapture, the resurrection, and future things on God's timeline. But to start with, I want you to look in 2 Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you bring a Bible to church, I like a hard copy myself that I can underline and mark in, and I also use a digital one, uh, but I do like the hard copy one. And uh, so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, you know, when you talk about the future, future events, when you talk about what happens when you die, there's a lot of uh, strange teachings out there. There's a lot of false teachings that are out there. And it's no different today than it was in Paul's day. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, Paul writing to, to the, ch the church in the city, the Greek city of Thessalonica, he wrote two letters, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Both letters deal quite a bit with future events because there was some confusion, there was some false teaching. And in chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. Paul says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together, and we're going to come back and talk about that phrase in a moment. But there are two distinct things mentioned there. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together. But look what it goes on to say then to him. Uh, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in your mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us. Do you know there were people in Paul's day writing letters about theological matters and forging Paul's signature to it? That was false teaching. And people were doing it to try to kind of win their own followings. And so you had people forging letters. You had false teaching going out in spoken and in written form. And is that any different than today? It's really not, is it? You can put on the TV, you can uh, go buy a book, you can go get on a website, you can follow a blog, and you've got to be careful, as I do, is it true to the what? To the Word of God. Uh, the other books are secondary. What does God's Word say about it? And so understand, we're not in any different boat than they were in Paul's day, where there's a lot of false teaching, uh, a lot of uh, fluff. That's out there, and we've got to go back to the Word of God. It goes on to say then, um, uh, here's what they were writing. 
a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Hey, y'all missed it. Christ came back and you missed it. The rapture happened, you missed it. And then it says, let no one deceive you in any way. So what we want to do in a few moments here, and it's an ongoing study for all of us, is what does God's word say about what happens when we die and about Christ coming back and about the resurrection? So in the passage that we read, and now we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we'll spend our time. In that passage, the word asleep is used twice. And when we read the word asleep, we've got to kind of understand what that word means before we look at the rest of the passage. Uh, it's talking about someone who died. And uh, the word asleep is referring to a physical death, not a spiritual death. So when it says someone is asleep, their body is dead. But do you know that your soul, your spirit never dies? Uh, there's nothing as... Some would say as soul sleep. Uh, for the Christian, when we die, our body looks like it's asleep. And that's why that word is used. But our soul and our spirit immediately go to be with the presence of Christ in heaven. Uh, here's what uh, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body, the body that died, and at home with the Lord. Do you remember Jesus when he was on the cross had a thief on either side? And one of those thieves in Luke chapter 23 said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now that thief's body remained on the cross and was probably put in a common grave. But Jesus said, you'll be with me today in heaven. And so understand when we talk about the idea of being asleep, it's talking about the physical body dying. It's not talking about being spiritually dead or your soul dying. Um, that, that phrase, uh, why do they use that phrase to be asleep for physical death? Well, it looks like someone when they're in a coffin or back in that day, maybe laid on a slab in a tomb in a cave, uh, it looked like they were asleep. Do you know the word cemetery? The etymology of that word, do you know what it means? It means sleeping chamber. That's what it means. And so understand the meaning of that word because it matters as we read through this passage. And so the big idea here is, folks, physical death is not the end. Uh, the resurrection of the physical body and life eternal for those who know Christ with him in heaven is a reality. And so now we go and look at the passage a little more closely. And we'll kind of break it down into three sections. And the key phrase in the first se section is this. It says in um, verse number 13, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Now, uh, probably all of us here know of someone who has died close to us who was a Christian. Uh, and uh, at that funeral, at that memorial service, Tears may have been shed. Nothing wrong with that at all. But we do not shed tears uh, without a great hope. And the hope is to see that person one day again in heaven. Um, my wife and I have three kids. They're all adults now. 
Uh, I traveled some, you know, when they were younger, and I would always, I think always, most of the time, say to them uh, before I left, hey guys, you know, I'm going for a couple days, and hey, listen, if something happens to me, know that I love you, and I'll see you again in heaven one day. And my kids, dad, don't say that. Uh, and my one daughter, Brittany, who's the youngest, is now, uh, you know, a young lady, and um, if I go in for a little medical procedure where they're putting you under, I'll still say that during the phone. Hey, I got this procedure tomorrow. I'll be out. Uh, and if I don't wake up, know that I love you. I'll see you in heaven. Dad, stop that. Uh, but you know what? There's a reality to be able to give that comfort to your loved ones. Not because I'm great. Not because I'm good. But as Jacob was saying, as we celebrated here, because of what Christ did on the cross, uh, I know my home is in heaven. I have that confidence. And I'll see those who also know Christ again one day. And that's not bragging. Uh, Paul said it very well in Philippians chapter 1 and uh, verse number 21. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. It was a accounting term. The bottom line's much better than it looks when I die. And so folks, know that for the Christian, to die is gain. Uh, I'm not looking to leave this life anytime soon. I love this life. It's great. But uh, when I die, there's gain. And once you get there, guess what? You're not interested in coming back. As great as life can be here, life there is so much greater in the presence of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, uh, in Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite verses, I'll often use it at a funeral or a memorial service. Ecclesiastes, Old Testament book, chapter 7 uh, verse 2, this is Solomon, uh, King Solomon, wise, wise man uh, who ever lived in the Old Testament at least. He's looking back on his life. He's writing this at the end of his life. He says this, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. What is the house of mourning? What would we call that in our society today? Where, where would you find a house of mourning in the yellow pages? There's an old term. How many don't even know what the yellow pages are? Where would you find that term? A funeral home. That's the house of mourning. A house of feasting, what is that? That's the party. That's the party. Now, I guarantee you, uh, if you ask me, Jeff, you want to go to the funeral home today? Or, Jeff, hey, we have a great party. You want to go party? I'm going to the party. That's where my natural inclination is to go. Uh, but you know what God said? It is better to be at a funeral than a party. And why is that? He tells us. He says, uh, and the living will lay it to heart. Because when I go to a funeral, or if I participate in a funeral, it's not as much about the person who's dead, but it's what the impact of that is to the people who are living. And, and I need to reflect. Hey, that guy, my buddy died. Where am I going when I die? And if you're here today and you don't have that certainty of a hope of a home in heaven, boy, I hope you find it today in Christ and open up your heart to him. Uh, if you're at a funeral, know that that funeral certainly is a respect and honoring to the person who's deceased, but the real burden is the people that are living. And so understand that uh, this life is temporal, and for a Christian, when they die, and who have the hope of heaven, we may grieve, we may sorrow, we may shed tears. We're going to miss them. 
but the eternal grief is not there because they're in a much better place. I want to share a video with you, and uh, this is a true story, uh, and you'll recognize it, many of you will, but uh, in October uh, of 1999, on October 25th, a plane took off from Orlando, Florida. Uh, there were six people on the plane, two pilots, four passengers. It departed uh, from the, uh, one of the Orlando airports at uh, 9.19 a.m. As it began to climb at 9.27 a.m., it got clearance to go up to 39,000 feet. Uh, the plane was on its way to Houston, Texas. And um, uh, that was the last communication that the ground had with that plane is when they gave him the go-ahead to climb to 39,000. Jets were sent up to fly alongside the plane to see what was going on. Windows were fogged over. Conclusion that the cabin had depressurized and probably all people on it were dead. The uh, plane had a, fuel, a full fuel tank, though, and it was on an autopilot, and so it kept flying to the northwest. Uh, maybe you remember this. It was on CNN, a speculation who's on board. And that plane flew... Uh, for about four hours until shortly after one o'clock that afternoon when it uh, crashed uh, just outside of Minas, South Dakota, uh, way up in the northeast part of that state. And on board, uh, who remembers who was on board? Golfer Payne Stewart. And um, uh, he and uh, six other, or four or five other people, uh, of course, were deceased. A few days later, uh, they had Payne's memorial service. And this may sound morbid, but back to our verse from Ecclesiastes, every couple years, I'll watch that service. I actually have it on DVD. I think you can find it on YouTube. Uh, There's some powerful things that were said and done in that service. And I like golf, so there's a a draw there too. Uh, But here's a video uh, that they played in that service. There's a song attached to it. Listen to the words of the song. The video begins with pain being interviewed uh, in a short time period before this plane flight and his death. And the, the interview is talking about another fellow golfer named Paul Azinger. Paul Azinger had got cancer. Payne was very close with Paul. And so the person doing the interview is saying, hey, um, Payne, what did you learn when you found out your buddy Paul, another Christian, had cancer? Both these men are Christians. And so that's where pain begins, is talking about his buddy having cancer and the uncertainty of of life and death. So let's go ahead and watch this. What did you learn about your buddy Zinger while he was sick? It it put a different perspective on my life. I I know it Mm -hmm. definitely put a different perspective on his life. All of a sudden, you know, golf, golf isn't, everything in, in my life. I mean, I have a beautiful family. I have a wonderful wife and two lovely children. And if I don't, if I, on the way home, something would happen and I can't play golf again, hey, I've, I've had a wonderful career, but I want to be able to spend the rest of my life with my, my family and, and raise them the best that I can and give them all the love that I can. And that's one thing that Paul taught me that, you know, golf isn't everything. And when you, when you, all of a sudden you, you have to look at life as, you know, God's going to call us home sometime. And Paul thought he was going to be called home early. And it didn't work out like that, which thank God for that. You know, God decided to cut Paul in to spend a little more time down here with us because he's got some more better things to do. 
but hey, you know, we're, uh, I'm, I'm going to a special place when I die, but I want to make sure that my life's special while I'm here. And when I'm done here, then my time's done. You could see me now. I'm walking streets of gold. You could see me now. I'm standing tall and whole. I think that we all have something in common and that, and that we have dreams. And the, uh, the thing about dreams is sometimes you get to live them out. great grip on life right now. Um, I have a wonderful family and I'm, I'm, I'm in touch. You know, I'm in touch when I'm home. I'm a father. When I'm on the road, I'm a golfer. And I love my life. You could see me now I'm walking the streets of gold You could see me now I'm standing tall and whole I don't know if you can see on Payne's wrist there uh, is a WWJD bracelet. How many caught that? Uh, that's what he wore in that final tournament, the U.S. Open, that he won a few months prior to that accident. His daughter had given it to him. And uh, so when they got to the site of that wreckage in Mina, South Dakota, there was a huge crater. 
about 42 feet long, 21 feet wide, 8 feet deep. Uh, much of it was all just demolished. But they found a few things. Uh, they found Payne's golf clubs that were in the plane, and they found that WWJD bracelet. And uh, how do you want to be remembered? What are you going to leave behind? I loved what it said at the end there, believer in Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate right there. Early in the interview, Payne says, uh, uh, I'm going to a special place when I die. I want my life to be special here, but I'm going to a special place when I die. And I guarantee you, given the choice, he didn't want to come back here. And so what a great hope you can give to people who you love you and are around you if, number one, you will first know Christ as your Savior and then give them that hope. Hey, you may cry or shed a tear when I'm gone, but know that I'm in a better place uh, because of who Christ is uh, and what he's done. At that place where pain is, uh, that plane crashed, uh, the local uh, owner of the land put up a memorial with permission from the family. Uh, it has Psalm 42 on it. It says this, uh, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. There's nothing like knowing the security of a home in heaven if you know Christ is your Savior. Now, the second part of this passage uh, deals with uh, the rapture. And um, I, I didn't say this earlier, but let me give you a, a brief timeline of uh, at least how I think things unfold uh, eschatology-wise, things in the future. And the Bible talks about these things. There are some differences that people may have. Uh, when does this occur? When does this occur? I get that. And uh, if yours differs from mine, you have every right to be wrong. And that's fine. I'm kidding. But um, so here's at least the timeline. Is the next event on God's timeline is this event that we're reading about called the rapture. When Christians will be caught up to meet Christ in the air. The word rapture does not appear in our text. The word rapture, though, is the Latin translation of the two words there, to be caught up. That's when we say the rapture, we're talking about that event where Christians all over the world at once are caught up to meet Christ in the air. That was what we read earlier about being gathered together, okay? And uh, at least in my understanding, uh, if you go to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, that rapture would be occurring at the beginning of chapter 4. Because from chapter 4 to chapter 19 covers a seven-year period that we call the tribulation. In the Old Testament, it was called uh, the time of Jacob's troubles. And it's a time of the Antichrist, the false prophet, judgments, uh, God's wrath on the earth. It's a brutal time. And here's what's comforting, at least for me. From Revelation chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 19, the church is not mentioned once as being on the earth. And so that, for me, seems to tie in to this passage that the church is taken away, um, the, the church, uh, the Holy Spirit embodying believers, holding back evil now is removed. Talks about that, talks about that in 2 Thessalonians 2. Seven-year tribulation period. At the end of the seven years, a big battle takes place, and you probably have heard of it. The battle of what? Armageddon. And Christ 
comes back to the earth then. Seven years earlier, he comes in the air. He didn't come back to the earth. But now he comes back to the earth. And that's what uh, I think Paul meant when he said the second coming, when he actually comes to the earth, uh, destroys enemies of Israel, sets up his kingdom for a thousand-year uh, reign, a millennial period, we call it, talked about in Revelation chapter 20. And then uh, after that, there's a, another rebellion, then a new heaven and a new earth. So this passage is talking about that rapture. And what it's saying is, at that rapture, when Christ comes back to call his church to meet him in the air, with him will be Christians who have died and have been with them in heaven. They'll be coming back too. So if you have a loved one who's deceased in heaven with Christ and the rapture happens today, you'll meet him somewhere up there in the sky. And then we'll be with the Lord, it said, forever. Isn't that a wonderful hope and promise? of uh, I don't fear death as those who don't know Christ. There's uncertainties, but I know that when I die, one day I'll be with Christ immediately, and one day I'll be coming back, and if I don't die before Christ comes back, I'll be caught up together and meet him in the air. The word there um, that uh, is used in where we read in 2 Thessalonians 2, it said our being gathered the, the Greek word is the word epi-synagogue. Uh, what does synagogue sound like? Synagogue. And that's exactly what it is. It's the Greek word for the Jewish meeting place. And the word means to meet, to gather, to assemble. And uh, that's the description that is being given. It will be like we'll be meeting together in the air like we're going to church. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 and 25 is the only other place where that word is used in the New Testament, that episynagogue, gathering together. And here's the context there. It says, let us, talking about Christians, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, uh, not neglecting to meet together, episynagogue. Uh, as the habit or some are, but encouraging one another all the, all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you know what it's saying in those two verses? It's saying when we gather together like this as a church, we are giving a visible picture of how one day we will be gathered together at the what? The rapture. That's what we're picturing here today. Now I like to think, we got all the best excuses in the world why we don't come to church sometimes, don't we? How would those excuses fly at the rapture? Hey, you know, Lord, I, I was out late last night. I'll be, I'll be there a little later. Or, uh, hey, will you be Zooming this today? Uh, can I watch it online? Uh, and I'm not knocking if uh, your circumstances have you watching online at all. Or, um, hey, you know, I'm going to go to the ball game instead. So I won't be gathering together with the believers today. And uh, we picture as a church, when we come together like this, we picture the future gathering together with Christ at the rapture. Many of you probably know the name Ernie Harwell. How many know Ernie? A uh, longtime broadcaster for the Tigers in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Go to Comerica Park. There's a statue of him at the ballpark. And uh, years ago at the old stadium when we did chapel there, uh, after chapel one day, Ernie was talking to one of our backup catchers, 
a guy who had a long career in the minor leagues, a little bit of time in the big leagues. Uh, his name is Rich Rowland. And they were talking, and Rich is from Northern California. In the off-season, Rich would go back to California, and he was a lumberjack. So he'd cut down uh, redwoods and sequoias and all that. And um, uh, uh, Ernie said, hey, Rich, those trees, they're so big, they're so tall, they must have roots that go way down into the earth. And uh, Rich said, respectfully, hey, Ernie, that's not the case. In fact, the roots of those trees go down very shallow. But what they do is the roots of one tree interlock with the roots of another tree. And they interlock with the roots of another tree. And he says, you have an entire forest of those trees whose roots go down very shallow into the earth, but they gain their strength by being connected to one another. Ernie said, that's the church right there. Our roots go down shallow into this earth, but we gain our strength as we gather, as we serve, as we commune. Together is where we gain our strength, not from the world. And so uh, that is what is pictured in the return of Christ, and we anticipate it. And then to wrap up, uh, the last verse says, encourage one another with these words. I hope the passage encourages you. I hope what we've talked about that encourages you. And I'm going to read a final passage to us from 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 3. It says this, uh, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And now listen to the final part of this passage. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. Do you know when we talk about the coming of Christ, the resurrection, where we'll spend eternity, what happens when we die, it's important to know it. But it ought to change our lives while we're here on earth. It ought to cause our lives to reflect Christ and to share Christ in the world around us. Father, thanks for this truth. Uh, thanks for this passage of Scripture. Uh, may we not be deceived. May we not be uh, confused. Uh, may we be able to say, as Paul wrote here, with assurance, with confidence, with hope in Christ, that uh, when we die and leave this earth, heaven is our home. And Father, when Christ comes back, if it happens before we die, we look forward to being gathered together with other believers and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.